0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, September 5th, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. Conspiracy theories have a long history, but the Internet age is a veritable golden age of conspiratorial thinking. Jesse Walker is books editor at Reason Magazine and author of the new book, The United States of Paranoia, A Conspiracy Theory. We spoke recently about the book and what gives conspiracy theories currency in popular culture. I guess my introduction to conspiracy theories was uh, Robert Anton Wilson and Robert Shea's The Illuminatus Trilogy, which, uh, for those who haven't read it, sort of wraps up all of the great conspiracy theories effectively into one one grand conspiracy.
1: Or or a mosaic of conspiracy. That's somehow been going for thousands of years. Yeah. I mean the great thing about that book, which is in my book, um, is that it's a – people sometimes say it treats every conspiracy um, as true. It might be um, more accurate to say that it treats every way of looking at the world as equally true and equally absurd and then sort of sees what they can tease out from that. But um, those two, as particularly Wilson, um, represent what I call in the book the ironic style of political paranoia, um, which is not actually – or the ironic style of conspiracism, I should say. And that's uh, people who – they're not interested uh, so much in uh, talking about conspiracy theories to debunk them or to say, hey, this is one I think it's tr- that is true, although sometimes they might do that on their own merits, but just to have fun with them, you know, to explore them like they're this big mutant mythology. Let's find what kind of laughs we can find in there. Let's find um, what kind of social insights um, can be found in there. Uh, in some ways, uh, my book is sort of uh, building uh, – doing something similar. I'm not building a conspiracy theory, but I'm looking at conspiracy theories as stories um, saying this is folklore. Uh, what can we learn about people um, from the fact that they've believed these things, uh, some of which are not at all true, some of which are half true, some a few of which are actually true. Um, but let's set aside, you know, debunking or espousing. Just look at the, the, the folklore.
0: What? In your mind, uh, from your research, what sells a conspiracy theory? I mean, particularly a false conspiracy theory. I mean, there are many true ones. So, what? What really makes a false one have have lose?
1: Well, what I say in the book is that even a conspiracy theory that says absolutely nothing true about the object of the theory, if it catches on, says something true about the anxieties and the experiences of the people who believe it. Um, and so – I mean what sells it? It has, it has to speak to people in some way. It has, it, it has to be um, – Plausible, or it, or sometimes it might strike an outsider as not plausible, but it has some sort of metaphoric truth for somebody, um, and and they, I mean it, it's it's a way of. Um uh, taking an abstract social force and treating it as a concrete thing, almost like an animist, you know, takes a natural force and treats it as a god, um, and and I, I think that happens with a lot of false conspiracy theories. And for that matter, uh, true conspiracy theories then get woven into these sort of larger mythic narratives. It seems to me that that that
0: having a strong element of truth is is the difficulty with which someone could separate the truth and the fiction that that was what sold me on the illuminatus trilogy was that there was enough actual history there that you thought holy you know, this could actually, this could be real for for a little while anyway.
1: And and, and the authors have said that some of the fun pranks that they pulled is there are some things that sound like plausible history that could be true, but they just completely made up historical details. And there are other things that sounded completely absurd, but are actually true that they threw in there. So it's, uh, yeah. um, And and, uh, I, again, I, I try not to spend much time in the book weighing what's true and what isn't. I mean, I'm I'm frank about it when I think something is silly. Um, And there are times I write about uh, particularly uh, Chapter 7 looks at the post-Watergate investigations of the CIA, FBI, NSA, IRS, and so on, um, when real um, misbehavior in high places was exposed. So I talk about Real conspiracies. But then I talk about how the exposure of those real conspiracies then sort of lowers the bar for people to imagine even further uh, activities that could be happening. I feel like
0: the 1990s, at least in pop culture, conspiracies became sort of popular as a way of storytelling.
1: Yeah. I mean I ha- in the book, I talk about what I call enemy above Theories. I, I have this sort of typology: enemy above, enemy within, enemy outside, enemy below, and then the benevolent conspiracy. And when people say conspiracy theories, often what they just mean are the enemy above ones. Um, and I think the '70s and the '90s were both just golden ages for um, for enemy above stories, um, but in different ways. In the 1970s, it's fueled by Uh, uh, investigations in the Senate uh, uh, the major newspapers um, you know the the president resigns and in the headlines you read about COINTELPRO and MKUltra and and all these awful things that were happening. In the 90s obviously there were congressional investigations so they tended to be processed in the media as more partisan affairs than collective affairs Um, but the um, collective in the sense of the whole country but i think that um it was more of a side door thing, you know, it was like, it was like a product of multicasting of, you know, I mean, we were building, that was sort of the age of the internet really exploding. And all of a sudden, all these voices um, could be heard, um, and could mix together. And you could have these sort of interesting stews bubbling where, you know, hippies and militiamen and black nationalists and UFO buffs were all listening to one another and mixing their, their ideas. And suddenly, you know, you had potheads, uh, who were upset about Waco, rightly, uh, you had, You know, uh, militiamen who start working flying saucers into their New World Order theories, uh, a bit less uh, likely in that case. Um, And and that was just—and an interesting thing about the 90s also is, I mean, that decade is sort of a crack in history, you know, between the Cold War and the War on Terror, Um, a time of relative peace and a time of relative prosperity, um, which you would think would diminish, you know, the amount of anxieties. But instead it just turns inward, you know. I mean, conservatives who might have been more concerned about the enemy outside without a communist threat were more uh, willing to get concerned about uh, abuses of civil liberties at home and turn their or their Bill
0: Clinton's things. MENA connection. Yeah, well,
1: then it becomes <laughs> it, it becomes this mix of you get upset about things like you know Waco, which were you know genuine abuses of police power, sure. but then you build all these theories on top of that, and you have you know the Bill Clinton MENA connection. You remember that? Barely. I remember that. Uh, the faxes coming into the office about that one. Um, so that uh, that was another thing is is that sort of. Inward turn of the country, um, and the the way that um, that also opened things up for more mixing and, and people being open to new ideological influences, just because what had been the organizing principle of American politics for the previous few decades was just taken away.
0: When I say storytelling, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of the X Files, right. pop culture, Millennium, mm-hmm. uh, and more recently Lost, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of shows that really just grab onto things that are. You know, at at once ancient and relevant, and uh, just try to spin a theory about government mismanagement, secret
1: societies, that sort of thing. And, w- and when I say storytelling, I'm talking about co- both conspiracy theories people believe themselves, and the s- theories and, themselves, and pop culture. I mean, I discuss the X Files. I just, I talk about '70s conspiracy thrillers. I I think there's this constant mutual influence um, between uh, conspiracy stories that people believe in the ones they just look at for entertainment. Um, The X-Files drew freely on on anxieties. There there are actually two, um, I talk about this in the book, there are two X-Files episodes about militias. Um, One of them sort of Buys into to an extent the sort of anti-militia panic at the time like you're supposed to imagine all these networks in the fever swamps although because it's the X-Files in the end it turns around and there's government involvement and so on the other one though this sort of Bogue rightsesque esque uh, veteran figure who initially seems to be the villain turns out to be right at the end so the X-Files was so um so diverse in the anxieties that it pulled together and, and mixed up, um, that it was able to have both militia-style um, anxieties and anti-militia anxieties in the same show. Uh, yeah, it, but it was. Um, it, it, that's another example of uh, a time of, of peace and prosperity producing the, these narratives. I mean, uh, you asked, where do conspiracy stories come from? It's not just anxiety. Paranoia can be a leisure activity. People like to be scared in the internet age you talked about these d- different ideas
0: uh co-mingling uh black nationalists white nationalists people concerned about uh, uh black helicopters that sort of thing it, since the internet has really caught on it it perhaps i'm wrong but it just seems like the conspiracy theorizing
1: has increased i don't think there's more of it i think it's um i think there's more of that mixing um and i think things spread faster and I, th- I mean, just because you transmit things much faster with the internet. And I think a lot of stuff becomes more visible. I mean, this actually is related to the mixing. Something that would be limited to one subculture or region can be much more visible to people just surfing. So in the book, um, if I am writing about, as I do, you know, some conspiracy rumors in the South in the 1940s with people believing that, you know Eleanor Roosevelt was organizing a Black Revolution, and there were covert Eleanor clubs, and there were also or some people were saying covert swastika clubs because you know the Black underclass was working with Hitler and all these ideas. I mean, we know that because uh, you know a sociologist went out and collected these rumors, um, and we wouldn't probably know about it unless someone remembered them in a memoir. If that guy hadn't done it, uh, now uh, nowadays we uh we can watch things unfold on Facebook right in front of us uh it's uh, the rumors are much more public um and uh, they just move at a much higher velocity. do you think that given how much more people can be exposed
0: to what otherwise would be smaller conspiracies uh, or should say uh, conspiracies with a with a limited range in terms of their reach, do you think people are more skeptical although they read something that they're Going to going to lo-
1: disbelieve it, but uh, I different people react in different ways. I mean, there's all sorts of different individual psychology. Some people might become more susceptible because they've they've gotten they've heard the more, the more of these stories, the more plausible they sound, right? Years ago, somebody at a
0: uh, some event I was attending handed me a a videotape of an Alex Jones program. and it was basically ten or twelve different conspiracy theories put together mm-hmm. uh, into into one not terribly edited together uh video but he has uh as a conspiracy monger mm-hmm. uh, has Almost broken into a lot of mainstream.
1: Yeah, he's got his uh, celebrity media. celebrity buddies. Which you know, I, it's, and, it's and, very. Uh, did you see that he did an interview? It's on uh, YouTube. I mean, I assume he did it for uh, his show or something. But I, with Mike Judge, you know, from, who created King of the Hill of the and, Hill, Hill, and Beavis and Butthead. and they and the top and apparently, I mean, they they both you know lived in Austin and they knew each other socially. And the topic of Dale Gribble came up. You know, who was like the conspiracy nut right, on King right, of the right. Hill, who was suspicious of everything except for the one thing that's happening in front of. Him, which is his wife having the affair, um, and his son obviously not being his own uh, biologically. Um, and uh, judge just sort of uh, laughed and said, yeah, I guess we uh, kind of made you guys look pretty bad there. Um, Alex Jones has a brief cameo in my book. I don't really explore him as a phenomenon, but he's one of the many people who've been this kind of spreading this idea of the Illuminati recently, which is an idea that's been around American culture for centuries. Um, I mean, the first... Uh, American Illuminati panic broke out at the end of the 1790s. So, you know, that's been part of our cultural imagination for a long time. Um, But it's been pretty intense uh, recently, thanks in part to, I mean, Illuminati sort of helped inject it back in pop culture. But recently, there's been Alex Jones, there's been a lot of stuff in hip hop. And it's just been sort of interesting to watch and track as it Goes along. You uh, said that there are several different varieties, sort of flavors,
0: mm-hmm. of conspiracy theories, and one of them is benevolent.
1: Yeah, who, who who's spreading those? Well, the benevolent conspiracy is um, working behind the scenes to make life better, right? Uh, that's. Uh, I mean, if the other four models I mentioned are all sort of secularized or sometimes not secularized ways of talking about any idea of like a Satan. Figure this is sort of like a secularized or sometimes not so secularized idea of God, like some sort of a a hidden hand um, benefiting people. Um, It would include ideas about you know the Rosicrucians working behind the scenes to improve uh, humanity. It would include ideas of like benevolent aliens, uh, the Angel Boom of the nineteen nineties. That's not secularized at all, but there was this. uh, It's part of that same sort of. um, uh, cultural space that's occupied by, you know, the benevolent space brothers and so on. Uh, although what's interesting is that when people um, believe in a benevolent conspiracy, as you know, New Age circles and so on, um, it's very easy then to fall into this Manichean uh, worldview where well, there has to be some sort of malevolent conspiracy <laughs> that our guys are are combating against, and it's also very easy for someone else, uh, often. Um, Uh, conservative Christians will look at sort of New Age benevolent conspiracy literature and see it as like the the people in the evil conspiracy uh, admitting what they're up to, uh, and so you have uh, uh, conservative, uh, not, not even not always conservative, uh, voices um, citing these sort of New Agey writers as is sort of like almost primary sources of what the the conspiracy is up to.
0: Yeah, the, a lot of the a lot of the conspiracy theories that I read are about how we are being oppressed. Mm-hmm. That is, we the common people by some sort of unseen larger force somewhere else. Uh, but you also detail uh conspiracies
1: of the powerful right the, or their theories right it, it's a um, and this is why I, I get into things like the enemy below because folks at the top, i i i, I the, the main theme of the book is that from the beginning of american history or or or, or the uh uh colonies in the, in uh, in what became the united states Uh, Political paranoia has been a potent force across the political spectrum, in the center as well as the extremes, in the establishment as well as the outsiders. You have um, these; they're not necessarily seen as conspiracy theories while they're happening because they are embraced by mass media or by people in the government. But you know, moral panics um, often have uh, sort of a Paranoid conspiratorial part to them. Certainly, the satanic uh, ritual abuse scare of the '80s would be a classic example. But also, um, you know, red scares, brown scares. You know, the lavender scare of the early Cold War, when it was feared, you know, that uh, there was sort of like a homosexual government within the government, um, and uh, and a really noxious crackdown that happened as a result of that. Um, or, or the anti-militia panic that I mentioned earlier. So it's just it's important to, to realize this is not like there's some people out there who believe in conspiracy theories. A lot, I, almost everyone who's not in a coma uh, is capable of political paranoia. You, me, the founding fathers, the president, and that guy raving on the street corner.
0: Jesse Walker is author of the new book, "The United States of Paranoia: A Conspiracy Theory." You can attend a forum for the book at the Cato Institute, September 11, 2013. You can learn more at cato.org.